you know you're in for a good time when you hear that sound because it means it's time for another episode of the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition with production quality unmatched, unmatched in the poker podcast sphere. There's, there, we, have, we are peerless when it comes to our production quality. Uh, thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Jim Reed. And if you want to learn more about me, just like all the other wizards on the Wrecking Crew, uh, you can go to rec.poker slash crew and uh, see all about all of us. Uh, every week, we take a uh, post from the Rec Poker forums. And because I have the best job in the world, I get to bring it here with some of these panelists and some of our premium members at Rec Poker and talk about that post. Get into some of the nitty gritty details of strategy and the world of poker in a recreational mindset. Um, a couple of folks that help us out with that are Website Mark, who owns uh, Website Amp, which is one of our sponsors. And thank you, Mark, for all that you do to make Rec Poker great. And of course, Steve Fredlin's Mecca, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Uh, speaking of peerless uh, in the poker world. So every week I'm joined by members of the Wrecking Crew. Uh, it's, a, it's a rotating group. This week we've got Chris and John. Gentlemen, why don't you tell the world where they can find you? Well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me on 5x5 on Poker Stars and Twitter. And I'm John Somsky. Currently, you can find me in my office recording this. Oh, I'm at <laughs> App Poker Geek MN. I'm everywhere. And uh, he's in his office working on Rec Poker stuff a lot. John Somsky is the online home games director for Rec Poker. Um, so it's him that you've got to thank for the over 40 free home games that we do every month. And Chris is the uh, membership content director. So you've got him to thank for our monthly seminar, the focus, and a lot of the learning material that we put out here at Rec Poker. Um, speaking of the home game, we're all playing in the nightly home. Well, I'm not. These guys are playing in the nightly home game. I don't have the mental capacity to do that and host a podcast at the same time. But um, we're trying to steal each other's chips. Uh, we are going to take a look today at a post in the Rec Poker forums by I'm a Luigi. I'm a Luigi has been posting in here a few times. We've had some great responses to other people's posts, which is what we really like um, when members start sharing their thoughts on other people's posts and sharing their knowledge and experience with the group. That's how we all get better by contributing to each other's poker journey. So uh, I'm a Luigi wants to talk about ICM spots. And so there are two situations that he's put in the post here. I'm just going to go through it and, uh, and then we can talk amongst the group. So the first were four left in the entire tournament from 644 runners. We've already got uh, something locked up, or is it uh, blah, blah, blah? Is it three paid or is it four paid, guys? Sorry. I Looks like it's four paid. I think it's four paid. So we're, we're in the money. Well, at least four paid. I mean, I think this, that, yeah. He, I yeah. mean, he's locked up at least 2,800 here. Yeah, he the, he mentions the payouts available. So it's... Uh, it's uh, 2,800, that's right, 3,800, 5,700, and 9,200. So we've got 2,800 locked up, um, and there are some payout jumps available. It, this is an uh, ACR tournament online. Uh, so the chip leader has 80 big blinds and has been open jamming for two orbits since we went four-handed, because Hero and the two remaining short stacks all have 11 to 14 big blinds. So this is a dynamic we're all going to be familiar with as tournament players. When you get shorthanded like this, and there's such a huge chip stack disparity, it's a real advantage to the large stack player because they can just shove and shove and shove, and you're just not going to feel comfortable calling enough 
to really realize your equity in that spot. So this is a, a pretty, if you play enough tournaments, you're going to be in this spot either as the big stack or as the small stack. And I think there's some lessons here for both. So uh, in this case, villain shoves under the gun and it folds around to hero. I'm a Luigi in the small blind with king of hearts and queen of hearts. So I'm a Luigi says, I'm obviously crushing his range, but with ICM considerations, are we better off waiting to be able to force villain to call our shove and or waiting to let the two other opponents battle with him? It's an unusual situation because we have three people with near identical stacks and a villain with an enormous chip lead. We're not realistically playing to win the tournament anymore. We're trying to maximize EV and ladder up. And I think that's a really good insight here because I mean, whether you're trying to win the tournament or not, there's value in laddering up. And so part of your decision is going to be weighing the value of laddering up versus weighing the value of trying to win the tournament. And that's kind of what ICM is all about. Um, and I think what makes it kind of unusual is that of the four, of the four players, three have a very similar stack size. If the stack sizes were more disparate, this would actually be an easier problem because if you're the second in chips, and there's two real short stacks, there's a real incentive for you to just stay out of the way. But when everyone has a similarly short stack, you don't have that much to lose by being the fourth out instead of the third out because you're not really entitled to any more, you know, EV of the, you're not entitled to any more of that pot that you would be otherwise, that play, that pool. Or likewise, if there, one of the players had, if it was 11, 11 and five big blinds, the five big blind player should be just, getting it in there willy-nilly because that player has so much less equity for it yeah and that's something that i think people don't really understand when they're playing in these spots but if you are the short stack here i mean this is this is kind of like the fun this is a fun part of poker like you actually just get to be the one exerting the pressure and putting your chips in and you know you're always rooting for a fold but this is poker folks and even when you get called you're never going to be dead in the water um so this is a spot where, in, you know, again, in this particular place that I'm a Luigi is talking about, um, it's a great spot for an analysis because there, this isn't so cookie cutter simple as some of those other situations. So in this spot, king of hearts, queen of hearts, I mean, a, a pretty good hand. Um, what, what, what do we think about this? Chris, John, you're in this spot. What does it make you feel? Grumpy. Hey. <laughs> so if you look at the the payouts it's 2800 for for 3800 for third and then 57 for um second so there's really not a huge difference between the second or third and fourth you get a little bit more of a bump to get up to second so I don't know. To me, I would be inclined to try to really shoot for that second spot. So I'd be looking for a spot to double up. Um, not that that's, I mean, that's what all the short stacks are looking for. But you want to, you don't want to wait too long so that you blind yourself down and then you're just doubling back to where you were a few mm. orbits ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know. I would probably be inclined to take this spot, but I think that might be one of the potential leaks in my game. 
is that I do not take ICM into enough consideration. Hmm. So, but but in general, in this spot, I would probably go for it. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those where where it if I am playing my my very best, I'm probably folding this because I think this is probably um, a hand that we can fold. And if we're going to be calling, I'd much rather do it with some kind of an ace or something that's going to be clearly ahead of, you know, this is already clearly ahead of, if this player is actually open jamming for two orbits, I mean, they're opening really wide uh, and they're jamming really wide. Uh, at this, but at the same time, we're we're just in we're in ICM jail here, and that is what's making me grumpy um, <laughs> and probably folding. But I will say, like sometimes I just I'm I get fed up with these these spots, and I'm like, okay, I'm sick of it, and I've got a good hand, and I'm gonna go with it here. Let's go. And I know I like I guess that's a leak in my game too. Like I get sick of these bullies. And, you know, but so if I'm playing my best, I think this is a fold. I think we should be folding. Um, but I'm not sure that in game that I actually do enough. Yeah, I think that's that's a common experience, I think. And I like I, I'm exactly the same way. I'm exactly the same way because I, I, I get like some little some some leak, some tilt stuff where I'm like, I just don't, I want people to like not get away with stuff. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's, it's this like, it's this injustice tilt right, that I have. Like, right, yeah. this is so wrong. But... I know you're doing this with like four seven sometimes. Yeah. It's yeah, ridiculous. but the other part of your brain is thinking, oh, I wish I were that guy. <laughs> that looks like a lot of fun. What that's right. Right there. And that's, and that's part of it, right, guys? Because it's like, they're not just doing it because they have some magical talisman at home that lets them shove all the time they're doing it because it's advantageous for them and correct to do so and like mm -hmm. the reason chris is grumpy isn't because he like doesn't have the chutzpah to call this person it's because folding is the correct play it's because the the, the structure of the game is set up that no no grudgingly folding is going to be the right play a lot mm -hmm. um and you know it's, it's, it's not because that big stack is a better player. It's not because they're, you know, cooler or stronger than anybody else. It's just that they have the big stack. And, you know, the way you exploit it is when you have the big stack, getting the leverage out of that yourself. And when you don't, playing appropriately for the role that you have. We'd all love to have the big stack. Um, but when we don't, we have to play appropriately. And counting yeah, on it's your no opponent. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's no different than, you know, when you're under the gun, you play a tighter range than when you're on the button. That's because the situation dictates that. I love that, John. Um, it's the exact same situation here. It just feels a little bit, it feels less fair because over the course of an orbit, you will be on the button once. Mm. Over the course of several tournaments, are you going to be the big stack at a final table? Well, maybe, maybe not. And that's where your skill edge 
earlier in the tournament hopefully got you to the final table with a bigger stack so that you can be the one everyone else is grumbling about instead of the one that has to fold the hand you don't want to fold. <laughs> that is such a good point, John. If our friend uh, uh, Merv Harvey from the Post Flop Poker Podcast was here, I would make sure that he awarded you the medal, or was it the award? the award of the episode, the medal of the episode, whatever it is, you earned it for that. I think one. it was the medal. I think it is the medal. Uh, so thanks, uh, Merv, for totally appropriating that, by the way. <clears throat> okay. <moving laughs> on. Um, so I think that's so important, John, that notion that I think that is, is that we kind of feel like we're entitled to it every once in a while in the way that we are entitled to the button every once in a while, but that's not actually true. And your point about playing better earlier in the tournament that's so key and you know it's as recreational players we think like okay we made it through the bubble we've like succeeded in this venture that we were in which was like playing this tournament but you know that's 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 winning the battle and not the war and you got to focus on winning the war and that means you know losing some battles earlier uh, in the tournament but you got to roll the dice and, and capitalize those opportunities so that you are the big stack. You get to take advantage of this terrain um, and, and lay this uh, waste to your opponents the way that the unnamed villain is doing here. So, okay, so I have two questions, Wizards. Um, so the first is, given that everyone else is also correctly folding all the time, given the dynamic, is there a way that we can adjust our play to take advantage of that? So let's say that this guy is open shoving for two orbits and we think that the other players are just going to actually overfold as a consequence. Is there, is there a course of action available to us to exploit that? Or is it, we're kind of handcuffed by the situation. Chris, you're shaking your head. Talk yeah, to me I mean, that. we're, we're in jail. We're in ICM jail and um, we're just waiting for somebody to either for us to get an even better hand than this, you know, I would, I, you know, like this is, this is, this is a borderline one King queen suited. Um, I think we can probably call like with ACE 10 suited, something like that. Um, so we're, we're getting really close to where, we, but I think this is still a fold. And I think what we're hoping is that somebody else, that this dynamic needs to change, right? We either need to pick up a better mm -hmm. hand or somebody else needs to take a stand, get sick of it, get grumpy, well, whatever, or pick up a premium. And, you know, chips are going to shuffle. Somebody's going to get knocked out or somebody's going to, that this log jam of us all with 11 to 14 is going to unsettle itself. And there then we will can start be making a, more chances. There will be a time, though, when you have position on the bully. Um, and if this player is a thinking player, he is going to be more likely not to call when you shove. I mean, if I were in his situation, mm -hmm. I would want to be keeping the small stacks as close as possible mm -hmm. for as long as possible, because that's just going to let you continue to exert the maximum ICM pressure. So um, I think the real way to com combat it, realizing that your opponents are also facing the same ICM pressure, assuming it looks like everyone understands that, then when your first act 
raise all in and you can even raise a little bit lighter because everyone involved should be more hesitant to call because of the same ICM pressure you're facing. Yeah, that, I like that. I think that's exactly correct. And I think one of the real keys of this is that it's the, it's the dynamic that's handcuffing us here. It's the dynamic. It's the spot that we're in. Um, as Chris says, if someone else doubles up, let's just say no one else gets booted, but someone else doubles up, that changes the dynamic. Because mm -hmm. now there's only two short stacks instead of three short stacks. It changes the pressure that, that is on you. It changes the pressure that's on the other players. And I'd much rather be sitting, if you told me that I had 11 to 14 big blinds, I'd rather be in a situation where like my role was clarified on the table <laughs> uh, because I'm going to feel less handicapped or, or less handcuffed because the, uh, uh, you know, the only solution is to start raising yourself instead or, or to get a really good hand <laughs> and call. So, you know, that's, that's kind of hard to do. Hard to yeah. Do. I would open shove this if it was, yeah. you know, before the, the bully got to act. Um, right, but I'm I'm not gonna call with it. That's a great point, and it, it's too bad that um, the the layout on the table isn't better for um, I'm a Luigi here because it sounds like he's across the table from the villain forehanded, so he's not gonna get that many situations where he's out of the hand and he gets to act. But that would be ideal. That would be another way to change the dynamic uh, of the spot a little bit. Would be at least if the bully is to your right, every hand they don't enter, including their big blind, you can shove. Um, and, and then put them in that more awkward, uh, uh, position. So, um, our, our newest wrecking crew member, Kim, uh, pet vet, uh, is in the chat here and, uh, she was putting some notes up in our conversation here. And it sounds like these cusp hands that we're talking about that we would be in this situation to call with are suited aces and sevens plus. Uh, you need that ace or a made hand. And even then, she says, I, I wouldn't hate to call there. <laughs> but, um, but it is the, the difference between ace X and king queen is, isn't so much the absolute hand strength so much as the hands that you're ahead of and the hands that you're behind. Of. Um, when mm -hmm. you've got king queen, you're just behind every ace. Um, and that makes a difference when, when you're looking at the combos of how you're trying to, trying to get involved. I mean, bad aces are also dominated by a lot of those, but yeah. um, it, it, it's, it's different. So, so Chris and John, what are, what are some of the hands that we might call in this spot? Uh, is Kim kind of nailed it there with a suited ace X and uh, seven, seven plus? I mean, I obviously, well, not obviously, I guess. I mean, there's some non-suited aces like ace king that we might consider. Um, yeah. I probably, I'm, I'm a little, I'm probably even a little tighter in this spot. Uh, I'm not doing this with every suited ace, so I'm probably doing it suited ace nine or ten, and then yeah, ace queen plus, and probably yeah, I I think pocket, uh, I think a pocket eights for me, I think is, I might I might find a call with sevens. They would yeah. be I would I would be like oh god I hate my I hate everything. And when you say that, Chris, you mean that you'd call with aces, kings, queens, all the way down to sevens, and then also pocket fives and nothing else. <laughs> no pocket fives. <laughs> pocket fives are going in the muck right now. Again, they got us in. Oh, in, uh... pocket fives! Cover your ears. He didn't yeah. mean it. He yeah, didn't mean no, it. No, no, they're going. They're going straight in the muck. 
As they should be. Uh, no, this is this is why this situation gets you so grumpy because yeah. you can't you can't even play your premium hands. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's it. It's just it's a bad spot. It's a bad spot to be in. Um, but that doesn't mean that like just throw it all away. Uh, it just means make tougher, less pleasant decisions, and that's that's part of poker. It'll be your turn uh, to be the big stack uh, one of these days. So. Um, I want to mention, so Taylor Moss, uh, who couldn't be here tonight, did put a response into the forum post here. And he says, honestly, it feels really bad. But if, you're, if they're shoving every hand, we still need to have a really good hand to call with all the ICM pressure in this spot. The decision really comes down to how wide is our opponent in this spot. I ran ICM Miser, and they said that under the gun would shove around 50% of hands. And we should only call ace 10 suited, nines plus, and ace-jack offsuit plus. If I widen their range to top 80% of hands, then we can call with king-queen suited, king-jack suited, ace-eight to ace-nine suited, and ultimately I'd wait until other spots and be way more open to shove when we are under the gun or the button, when we would be able to act before this big stack. So so kind of in line with as we described here, Mm -hmm. shoving's better than calling always. And... uh, I think we were right. We're right on that borderline of sort of where the cusp hands are. And I think a lot of that comes down to the the actual range that you put your opponent on. A lot of this stuff is really just a math problem. If you can get good at hand ranging and figuring out equities, um, some of this stuff, you're just going to say, okay, well, he's shoving 60%. That means that I can shove, you know, I can call with ACE nine plus and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I suppose the, I mean, that isn't interesting. If, if Taylor's point of view, you know, if we can, if we can, raise this up to 80% of hands, maybe king, queen. The thing that I don't love about this is this has only been two orbits. And, you know, we can we can make some assumptions that um, villain is just doing this with anything, right? But it's also like... And to be clear, two orbits is eight hands. Right, Thank it's you. only... That's yes, my exactly, point, right? Like exactly. there's four people in this, there's eight hands. So like... The, sometimes people just get dealt a lot of good hands and they're, you know, they're the chip leader bully. And they're so like, if I saw this happening for six orbits, you know, now I'm starting to be thinking my King queen looks pretty, (laughs) pretty enticing. Um, But, you know, I don't know. And and people are going to say like eight hands, like, you know, no one gets dealt eight hands in a row that you can shove with. And maybe that, I mean, that's not true, but maybe that's true. Um, but that doesn't count the big blind hand that he didn't have to play. Right. So it's really just six out of eight hands. And for all you know, he decided to bluff shove for two or three of those hands and then went on a heater. So right. it's actually, it's really just three hands that he had in a row that were good hands. Right. And it's not even just that he has to have super premium. I mean, what Taylor was talking about is that we cannot call if he's doing this with 50% of his range. <laughs> so like that's down to like queen seven offsuit, right? And we still cannot call, but but what we need him to be doing is doing this with like nine, five offsuit, right? Like it's gotta be that bad of a shove. And then we can start calling with this kind of a hand. And so I'm not convinced seeing two orbits that were that, that, inc- I mean, it probably includes queen eight offsuit for sure. 
but I don't know that it includes nine five offsuit, and that's that's where I'm probably folding. It. <laughs> I love Kim's response in the chat. She says two orbits is enough online, in my opinion. No chance he beats king queen suited for two orbits. <laughs> I mean, that's true, but but again, we're playing against a range, right? And if yeah, we if yeah. we if we if we can't narrow this player down to even that level of like better than or worse yeah. than fifty percent of hands, then we've got a fold, and I don't think we can yet. We'd have to actually do the math with standard deviations and all that stuff. That I'll ask you to do that live here, right? We're now. We're not doing Thanks. it live. Thanks. We're not doing Thanks. it live on the air. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but the uh, because that's what you'd really have to do. You'd say, okay, well, what are the chances that he's doing it with a forty percent range, a thirty percent range, an eighty percent range? Because we know if we get up to eighty percent, we're good. There's probably it's probably seventy or sixty-five. Right. Who knows where right. the actual line is? But the the thing is is in in poker it's a, po a game of incomplete information and the only information you have is your best guess that's all you're gonna get mm -hmm. so you just kind of have to i mean if this were a live game i'd be sizing the player up and seeing what i thought if i had any past experience i'd be using that um against some people i would definitely call with this against others i probably wouldn't um yeah, that's just well, let's, let's, does Jonathan let's... Little have anything to say about this? You think? <laughs> what a great question! You know, he really knows what he's talking about. Let's see if he has anything to weigh in on with this. You ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. And if he hears that any of you have been stressing, it's going to be a problem. Jonathan Little is going to show up at your house and saying, have you been sweating or stressing? Because I heard that there was some sweating and stressing going on here, and it's going to be a problem. You're going to hear from G. You do not want to make Jonathan Little angry. I would go to pokercoaching.com and enter the code RECPOKER, like, immediately, just, you know, for the sake of yourself and the safety of your family. So that is one very uh, common spot. Uh, but I'm a Luigi did mention two situations. The second one's not going to come up as often. So I don't think we'll have as much to say about it. Uh, is there anything we should cover uh, in that first situation before we move on? No, I think that's right. It's just, you got, you got uh, handcuffed to the spot. Um, suck it up, play discipline poker for a while. And uh, uh, the dynamic will change. And, and then you can play a different kind of poker. So situation two, uh, there's 11 left and 10 pay in a 200 uh, gear, a $200 entry tournament on ACR. And we, the hero is fifth of 11 remaining with 22 big blinds. So we're on the actual bubble and there are three micro stacks with fewer than four big blinds trying to survive one more orbit. The chip leader has started open jamming since we got one from the money again, as they should, because that is a spot that it's great to put other people in. So it doesn't make them cool. It doesn't make them like strong or a good poker player. Just they're recognizing that they're in a good spot. Uh, so villain jams, 50 big blinds and all the micro stacks have folded. 
uh, Hero is sitting there with Ace Ace. So we only have 15 seconds left in the time bank, and we have to make a, a decision very quickly. Should we ever be folding Ace Ace pre for ICM considerations? And then uh, I'm a Luigi says, silly side note, Hero folded Ace Ace pre flop on the stone cold money bubble of the WSOP main event in 2019, which received some coverage on ESPN and some teasing from his poker friends, but it was the right play for sure. And um, I think, I don't think I'm Luigi is saying that this is a similar spot to that um, from an ICM consideration point of view, but I'm sure that was in his mind <laughs> as he came up on the stone cold bubble. And uh, I mean, the short answer is, Yes, there are times when folding ace-ace preflop is not only justifiable, but I mean, just absolutely case closed the right decision. Um, the stone cold bubble is pretty much the spot for that. Um, is this that spot? I'm not sure because uh, given, given the dynamic at play, um, there's a few different ways we could be thinking about it. Um, I well, mean, I have a, let me I have a notion that. in mind, but yeah, John. Ask that question because so before thinking about this hand, I would have said the only time I would ever fold ace ace pre flop is in a satellite tournament where right. you're all you need to do is get into the money, there is no benefit towards getting more chips, and the same might be true if you had a really flat payout structure. But if you have a normal payout structure and the and cashing is not going to be bankroll changing. So that makes the main event situation different because often people are satelliting into the main event and even getting a min cash of $15,000 is a big boost to your bankroll. So that's a different situation than this. In this, I don't know that cashing is worth I don't know that you're gaining enough extra equity by folding ace-ace there than you are gaining if you play a doubled-up stack properly after the, the bubble, including the amount of times that you're going to bust and never get a chance to play at all. So I personally would not be folding ace-ace here. Again, I keep in mind that I, on average, probably don't take enough ICM consideration into it. But that's the, the way I would look at it with normal tournament payout structures. I kind of think you're still getting enough benefit from the extra chips you're getting. And ace-ace is strong enough that you're likely enough to win extra chips that it's still worth putting your chips in the middle in a non-satellite um, uh, tournament. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's, there's very few online tournaments where I would full days days uh pre-flop uh it would have to be i it would have to be i mean like and i've actually so I, I i know a little bit about the the background of that story um from from i'm a luigi i don't know if he i know his name but i don't know if he wants us to use his real name so from i'm, I'm a luigi and his story um in that main event and I, i've heard the story behind that hand and it's i think it's absolutely the right play that he made and that's the situation to do it um he had, you know, a decent number of, of blinds, but not a ton, but he can, he can sort of, this is a spot where there's so many people who are just hanging on for dear life. I mean, it's sort of the same situation here, but I think we're talking about 
uh, a prestige level tournament and sort of wanting to find that cash and it's a lot of money plus there's just like the the main event has a it's a big tournament so it's got a really flat payout payout structure so once you get into the money you know you can you can start to sort of get your money in and try to double up then um so it makes sense in that spot but i don't know that there's any kind of online tournament that comes close for me to and and you know with i want to try to win this this one and i've got 22 big blinds i can get 46 or 7 by the end of this hand if i jam this and i'm you know i'm i'm a big favorite to double and so 15 10 15 20 percent of the time i'm out um oh well i i'm 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 getting the money in yeah then uh, um <clears throat> stew in the chat makes a good point here if you're gonna fold ace ace then don't even look at your cards yeah that's right and, and and you'll know if you're in that spot where you just don't even really need to look at your cards like that satellite situation that john's talking about and i think and I do encourage people, we, we, we kind of go through the comments here on the podcast, but I encourage you, go get a free community account at rec.poker and go just check out the forum post itself. It's called Two Interesting ICM Spots, including AA on the Bubble. And uh, there's some good notes in here um, that you just don't get from the audio version. So I always encourage people to go and check it out. Um, but the one point I really want to get at here is this notion that the value of your doubling up on the bubble of the main event is different than the value of your doubling up when there's 10 people left in the tournament, as, as John and Chris have said, because the, the payout structure is different. Doubling up in the main event, one spot below before the bubble doesn't really affect your chances of winning the tournament. Doubling up on the bubble of a 10 person pay bubble may substantially affect your ability to win the tournament. Um, so that, that's one important uh, distinction there. And then I guess one last question for the panel here. So, we're calling with Ace Ace. Is there, are is there room in our calling range there for some other hands? Would we call with King King? Would we call with Ace King suited? Um, or is this just one of those just super unique spots where it's actually just Ace Ace that we're that we're calling in that spot? I'm probably calling with Kings too, but that might be with with this number of micro stacks. That's probably. Mm-hmm. the bottom for me that, it, it's the I micro might, stacks yeah sure. i might do ace king suited as well but those would be the three hands i would play it's it's the micro stacks that really make it interesting to me and i i'm a luigi refers to this in the post as well that uh you know because they're all so close to busting it does kind of it just makes it a very interesting question where just like in the previous hand the, the dynamic was interesting just now the dynamic's interesting for a similar reason stack sizes but the dynamic is very, very different. Um, so that's that's a good thing to be thinking about. And uh, Kim in the chat says uh, that she would call with Queens Plus and Ace King. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's a pretty strong range or so. Um, but, though, you know, the Ace King is one of those hands where, you know, you're flipping with all their pairs and, you know, you're not that far ahead of some of their other ones. But, I mean, you're dominating a lot of their other aces that they're raising with. So that's good. Um and, and it really does depend on, like, what are your assumptions about this player? How tight can you make that opening range prediction and, uh, and go from there? Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for this great conversation about ICM and the different ways that they can be expressed. Um, my tip for listeners, be the big stack. Apparently that's a huge edge. If you can master that, just get be, be like a tremendously uh, favored big stack every time you get to a final table. You're going to find those final tables are much easier to play, way more smooth, fewer and Then do this errors. a lot. Put people in <laughs> just spots, right? Yeah, like exactly. seriously, like if you get a stack like this, you can just see how hard this is for your opponents. So be the bully. <laughs> yep, be the bully. That's right. It's there for a reason. Yeah, it's just there's a fine line between being the bully and spewing off all of your chips. I have done both. (laughs) (laughs) And John, what's your sage advice for how to know when you're doing one and when you're doing the other? What's the one you win, one you bust early? (laughs) That's That's how you know. One thing I will say, I mean, I know this is getting long, so but one thing I will say is like from the bully's perspective, I don't always love these gigantic open shoves because just because of that kind of thing and like i think we can accomplish a lot of the same thing by putting a lot of pressure by just opening a lot Mm -hmm. because it forces our opponents to commit their stacks and we don't have to commit that many of our chips and we can decide then which of these do we want to you know do we want to go with and which do we not if we're just shoving every hand then we're we're going to be in a spot where we've got nine five off seed yeah. and we're like, oh damn it. <laughs> the the thing is is the time to shove is when all of the stacks behind you are yes. like eight eight blinds or less. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. then then you, what you don't want to do is you don't want them to have perceived fold equity because at at those stacks if you do a normal open raise they don't have it. You should be calling with almost anything. Um, unless you're really just totally going wild. But so that that's the reason why the shove is good, but that does depend upon what the other stack sizes are. Right. You don't want to have 80 big blinds as the big stack and shove against a 75 <laughs> big blind right. stack next good to point. you. Good Even point. like in this spot where, where uh, I'm a Luigi has 22 big blinds, yeah. right? And you've got an 80 big blind stack. That's still, oh, man, do I... I you know, I don't know. I, I, I would just rather put the pressure on because they've got to wake up. They've got to wake up with the same kind of hand. I mean, they can flat you and they can see how it, how it ha- turns out, but you know, I, yeah. I, the, the versus the first situation where it was 80 big blinds and 14 yeah. big blinds. Then I don't the mind. Then we can just yeah. be shoving like, like a madman. Yep. <laughs> and, and when, when dear listener, when you are the one in that position, don't feel like just because you're shoving in a couple spots, you now have to open shove every time. Like you can, you can, you're allowed to just look at who's still in the hand to your left and then choose your open size. So if it turns out that, you know, you can leverage the existing stacks in the game with a smaller bet, even to the point of exploitably planning to fold the shoves because you think they're almost never going to do it. That's a better plan than just open shoving. And so don't feel like you have to maintain this open shoving every hand for three orbits to be like inscrutable. You know, sometimes being it's it's better to just be (laughs) properly calibrated (laughs) in your ranges than to be inscrutable. You know, usually being inscrutable is because you're doing something like wrong (laughs) because all the easy stuff to figure out is kind of textbook. Yeah, John. Well, I was just going to say that's a good point is that you can't, 
be exploited by making consistent adjustments using public information. Yes. In other words, if it's information everyone has available, everyone knows the stack sizes of everyone else, or at least should. <laughs> everyone knows what the current blind levels are. Everyone knows what the payouts are. If you're adjusting your game based upon that information and you're doing it consistently, then you cannot be exploited based upon that. Yeah. Versus and if you adjust what you do based upon your cards, private information, you can be exploited on that because that could allow them to figure out that private information from you. Well said, sir. Uh, okay, two two medals, two medals in the episode. Today. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's Church exactly. Who knows the least gets the most medals. <laughs> John. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, and we talk about this a lot when we talk about varying your open raise size, not according to the strength of your hand, but according to other factors at the table, like the average chip stack, your position, the number of runners in the, at the table, that kind of stuff. Um, because you should be adjusting your strategy according to some things. It should just not be the kind of, as John says, the, the, the private information that only you have, because then you're, you're providing uh, your opponents an opportunity to gain some insight into that private information, which you would prefer they not have. All right. Thanks team. Well, th I just have so much fun talking about this stuff with you guys every week. So um, I'd like to thank Stu uh, and Kim for being in the chat and uh, putting their comments down there. And I want to thank John and Chris, of course, for joining me and the website AMP and Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. And all of you, dear listeners, thanks. See you soon.